What's going on, everybody? Welcome into February here on the Buffalo Beat, and it is the first episode since the 2019 season has officially ended. The Super Bowl is over with. The Kansas City Chiefs are champions. Patrick Mahomes delivered them to a victory in the uh, final six minutes of the game there. And, of course, now everyone's trying to figure out how to copy them. But it's usually never that simple and a lot more complex than everything else and a lot more goes into it. So last week we touched a little bit on the the salary cap and, and everything along those lines. But I wanted to shift gears a little bit because we've been talking a lot about offense and the needs there, wide receiver, you know, when to draft one, should they sign one, all of this good stuff. But I think what is kind of the, maybe not understated, but not, maybe not, it's the cries for it aren't as loud as um, as what they might need on the offensive side of the ball. And that's on defense because, quite frankly, they were really good defensively last year. They had some struggles at times against the run, but all in all, it was a great year for their defense, and they took a step forward. But I think the uh, I think the the main part about this is trying to figure out where to strike defensively and how to coincide that with how to improve the offense in and around Josh Allen. So thanks everyone for joining us. My name is Joe Biscalia. With me as always, Matthew Fairburn. Matthew, the defense. Some some sneaky needs there that are starting to get a little bit more attention as we get farther into the offseason here. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you're a team that has a, you know, your strength lies in your defense, part of, you know, maintaining and building on the success they had in, in 2019 is making sure that defense stays a strength and gets better. We've seen um, some volatility in terms of defensive results around the league. It can be hard to sustain really good defensive performance. And I, I don't think this team is without needs on that side of the ball. I don't, I don't think it's a, a perfect unit. Um, certainly in a, a pretty big spot in Houston, uh, they, they let them down a little bit on a couple of drives. You can't expect them to be perfect, but I think there's there's a few key spots where they need to get better, and I think they know that. I, I think, you know, early on in this draft, uh, and you know, maybe in free agency too, you'll see some resources invested in the defensive side of the ball. Even though the most obvious needs are probably on offense, and uh, certainly the needs that will impact the win total the most are on offense. If you uh, if you want to see this team take that next step, they need to get better on that side of the ball, but. Uh, this is a, you know, a defensive coach, a team that has, you know, a history, even if you go back to Carolina of investing some premium picks in positions like defensive line. So uh, I think there's reason to believe that they're going to invest uh, some resources into into this group because uh, there's a few few holes that that are starting to, you know, that could become problem bigger problem areas down the line. And they did invest uh, a heavy resource into the defensive line just last year, a top 10 pick on Ed Oliver, because he conceivably and potentially is able to impact the pocket from the interior, from the inside out. And that was a, a very big thing for Sean McDermott in his defensive scheme. And, you know, I think back to the coaches breakfast back in March of 2019 and just 
him talking about how it's more difficult to stop and that there's theories out there that it's more difficult to stop than on the edge and that he would tend to agree with those statements. And I think that, I don't know if it tipped their hand, but certainly showed you how important that position is to their scheme. And so they addressed it. But this is also a regime. And since we're on the topic of, of pass rushers, I mean, I think that's the one that everyone can kind of see now, now that uh, the season is done, they've got, you know, nobody in terms of the fan base is happy with what Trent Murphy did, maybe outside of a couple of games. Uh, Shaq Lawson is clearly a free agent that the Bills would probably like to have back at, at a at a good number, not a not like an overwhelming double digit number. But if if they can get him back on somewhat of a team friendly deal, then I'm sure they would like to. And then Jerry Hughes is in his 30s and just signed an extension. And oh, by the way, they haven't invested a draft pick outside of Daryl Johnson in in a defensive end or a pass rusher. So there's there's a couple of different ways to to go about addressing the need to help provide some pressure off the edge. And Hughes had another solid season just like he always does, more than solid. He was he was good again and helped influence the pocket. It's just a matter of getting some help and that has been kind of a blind spot for the Bills for a while now. And I wonder if maybe this year is finally the time to get him a solid running mate and someone that could potentially take over for him whenever he is done in Buffalo, whether it's after a couple years or after a few years. I mean, the the window will be closing for Jerry Hughes in short order here. So I think the the two distinct ways to kind of go about it one is very classic, getting a every down pass rusher off the edge, someone that can line up probably on both sides of the ball if, if you want them too early on in their career. Or the idea that I, I kind of like, uh, at least in terms of 2020, with how to get a young impact player on the field, it's to have someone that has the ability to drop back into coverage, maybe play him at strong side linebacker, uh, on uh, base downs, and then when you need him to to pass rush, he can do that. Kind of in the mold of Lorenzo Alexander, only more explosive than him and more potential at defensive end down the line. So I think those are two distinct ways to kind of slice it here. And there are some definite intriguing prospects, whichever way they they choose to go, if they choose to go with an edge rusher in the draft. Yeah, I would say they've already started to address the defensive line as a problem area, given that they revamped their defensive line coaching staff. Um, you know, signed, you know, got Eric Washington to replace Bill Tierlink. I mean, Bill Tierlink, you know, went to Virginia Tech first, but I don't know, not a move that you always see guys make. It it happened right as Eric Washington became available, so. You can connect some dots there, but they have a kind of what they did on the offensive line, you know, uh, last year. And then you saw them heavily invest there. I mean, this defensive line needs to get significantly better. I, I, you know, Ed Oliver needs to take that next step. Uh, that would probably have the best impact of, of just about anything they could do outside of signing uh, you know, one of these big ticket defensive ends, but the, their best 
pass rusher last year. Statistically, in terms of pressures, knockdowns, hurries, and sacks, was Shaq Lawson. And he was 30th in the league with 28. Beyond, you have to go all the way to Trent Murphy, who was 63rd in the league. Jordan Phillips was 65th, even though he had nine and a half sacks. And then Jerry Hughes was 80th. Lorenzo Alexander, 112th, and Ed Oliver, 126th. They just weren't getting after the quarterback as much as you would like to see. Part of that, maybe you would think sometimes it's teams getting the ball out quickly, but against this secondary, I don't know if that was always the case either. So it's a spot where they need another player to come in and and really you know, provide some juice. Uh, I, I think Ed Oliver taking another step would be would be great. Um, you know, like you mentioned at the top, affecting the pocket from the interior is going to be, you know, the best way to really jumpstart your pass rush. And Ed Oliver had his moments. Certainly, you know, Jordan Phillips got his his cleanup sacks, but as a whole, they weren't, you know, pressuring the quarterback at the same rate, uh, you know, other, you know, defensive linemen across the league were. So the question becomes, you know, We'll we'll know in terms of the draft where the hole is, depending on if Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips come back. Because you might need a secondary guy, not in the first round, but a guy to rotate with Ed Oliver if you want to continue to have the same type of rotation that you do. That might be a free agent, might be a mid to late rounder. But that early investment is probably going to come at at defensive end. And, the you know, but that will depend on how much, if anything, they've invested in Shaq Lawson. And I would, you know, I think Jerry Hughes is probably, this might be it for him. Um, you know, maybe they give him another deal after this one, but uh, I would think this deal is probably it. So you need to have a plan in place to move on from him and you just need somebody opposite him right now. Yeah. And I think what's important here with all that is Ed Oliver jumping out and becoming a more impactful statistical player. I thought in the final or the second half of the season, as soon as they made him a, you know, finger quotes backup, I think he really started to come into his own and become a, a really good player in the middle of that defense and show some definite signs of a potential breakout for his second season. And I could absolutely see that to the point in which, I, if I were the Bills, I would not even entertain bringing back Jordan Phillips for more than a one-year pack because I don't want anything to stand in the way of Ed Oliver being in that focal point role as the three-technique defensive tackle because from what he showed and what the the flashes he showed, I would I don't want to keep that guy off the field. I want to see if he can realize that that immense potential that he has. But off the edge, it's. It's an issue that they must address. And I think there's a few different ways to go about it. The The interior pressure is an interesting one because they can either to coincide with Ed Oliver and certainly on third downs when they like to bring in either Lorenzo Alexander to play defensive tackle or they bring in at near the end of the season, they brought in both Jordan Phillips and Ed Oliver to, to rush the passer from the interior. Conceivably, what they could do if they wanted to get a a uh, prototypical 4-3 defensive end, then you could 
get a guy who's a little bit bigger, a little bit more stout that can win from the interior as well and draft him and then flip him inside. So that way you have Hughes, Lawson, Oliver, draft pick, uh, insert draft pick name here as long as they re-sign Shaq Lawson. So that would be an optimal way to go about it on third downs specifically. And then you're continuing to build that role for that player as soon as Hughes is done or and when Murphy leaves the Bills, if it's not this year. I think that there's a lot of different avenues there. And the one player that kind of jumps out to me that could fill that role, that little hybrid defensive end, defensive tackle role, is uh, AJ, I, I'm, I always mix up his name, Epens, uh, Epinesa. That's the, that's the one. His dad's name is Epinesa Epinesa. A fun fact for it goes by epi epi epinesa but that's a guy that is huge long arms super strong can win off the edge can win win on the interior not a speed guy as much so he's not that hellraiser but he's he's very much what you would think the bills would look for in a pass rusher based on their history in carolina and i think this opens up a uh a, a kind of a different way to go about this too, which is odds are they would be addressing a, getting a pass rusher in the draft, right? So I think the the thing they have to ask themselves is how long are you willing to wait to address pass rusher? Because I almost feel like it's one of those positions where you don't often see a lot of mid to late round gems really make it where it's usually in the first couple of rounds where you're you're finding these guys that have all of this potential and there are some busts don't get me wrong but I feel like that's that's the time where you have to make a strike for it because they're so they're such a hot commodity and everyone's looking for pass rushers with potential and guys that can show they can win off the edge because it's it's such a vital thing to affecting the other team and it, it might be, it probably is on the short list of things that the Bills use at 22. Yeah, you know, the point you bring up about needing to address that early, Michael Bennett and Mario Addison, who were both undrafted prior to this season, were the only two active NFL players with more than 40 sacks who weren't drafted in the first four rounds. Ooh, so wow. you need... I mean, it's one of those positions where you need a skill set that is hard to find. It is you need to be big and you need I mean, those guys are arguably the best athletes on the football field at any given moment, uh, given the size and quickness combination needed to play that position. So with that in mind, that means at some point in the first three rounds, you know, Maybe the fourth round, if you really want to stretch it, you know, you want to kind of, you got to take a swing at it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's just not uh, too many guys who have been able to go from being late round picks, undrafted. You know, I was digging into a lot of that when writing about Daryl Johnson this year because, you know, the odds are that Daryl Johnson will not develop into an all time you know, a, a super productive year in and year out pass rusher. If he does, uh, he'll be an anomaly. And, you know, he has the 
physical gifts that you usually see in some of the earlier round guys. Um, and you know, he was a small school guy. That's usually the formula is guys that were overlooked guys that were late bloomers. You don't want to be rolling the dice on that. There's a re there's a prototype at that position for a reason. Uh, they're often drafted in the first round and second round for a reason. But you know, the question is in this draft where they're sitting, is it going to be the right spot? You know, you mentioned Epinesa, you know, I mean, obviously Chase Young is the cream of the crop mm -hmm. after those two. You know, there's some some question about, you know, the next tier and, and how it'll all stack out, um, you know, as this thing unfolds. Uh, you've got the guy from Penn State, uh, Gross Matos, Yatir Gross Matos. I don't know. There's a lot of names that are going to we're going to need to learn to pronounce in this group. Uh, potentially, they, they, I just love Epi Epinesa. That's that's it. Yeah, that's a that's a bizarre one. But there's, you know, I'm looking at Dane Brugler's big board and, you know, there's a little bit of a drop off where the Bills are picking. So it's a, an interesting, you know, an interesting spot for them to, you know, maybe address it in the first, maybe address it in the second. Maybe you find a, like you said, you have to get creative and find a linebacker um, who can be, you're not going to find Lorenzo Alexander because what Lorenzo Alexander did in his role you're not going to find necessarily another player who does that. He did a lot of different things in terms mm -hmm. of being a strong side linebacker, but also playing defensive tackle and pass rushing situations. Uh, he playing special teams the way that he did just a, a unique role for a truly, you know, the word that gets thrown around too much unique, but I, you're not going to find too many players that had his career journey and experience playing, you know, defensive tackle and outside linebacker, but that's just what he did. So uh, trying to find that guy, you know, he might not exist, but a pass rushing strong side linebacker certainly exists. There's a lot of those. So yep. uh, that's another way to, to, to impact the quarterback. And it's also not the only defensive need that they have. So they're probably, you know, they don't need to shoehorn the pick and force it. Um, they're in a spot. I think they're still in a spot where there's so many needs that, you know, they don't have to force one particular need. Uh, both sides of the ball have areas that could be addressed. And uh, as much as the pass rush should be a priority, they don't have to force it if the right prospect isn't there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the other name that might get lumped into the Epinesa gross Matos range is, Kalevon Chason, who is wore the the number eighteen leader jersey at LSU, so you know McDermott's gonna love the heck out of that. And then, um, of course, he is one of the more intriguing speed rushers, just because of how quick he gets out of his stance. And I know everyone is going to think back to the college football playoffs and be like, "Yeah, that guy, go get that guy." But um, but there are some other intriguing names out there. And if he's that quick off the edge, and this class kind of drops off a bit after the first round, as pass rushers usually do, then that guy might not be there at twenty two. He could, but might not be there. The one guy that if if they're going to go more of an unconventional route and do like a uh, find someone to match two roles with one, I mentioned Epinesa who could kind of float along the defensive line there for them. Um, but Terrell Lewis out of Alabama is someone that intrigues me. Uh, and he's got just a ridiculous skill set 
and there are times where he looks like he should be a top 10 pick and then other times where he kind of gets gobbled up and is a little bit inconsistent but you're talking about raw ability and the body to go with it he's 6'5 258 34 and an eighth inch long arms 10 inch hands he's 21 years old just has incredible change of direction for his size he can drop back so seamlessly uh it just has that insane reaction time off the snap I mean, there, there is a lot to like there with him, but he's kind of a, okay, what do you do with him? Is he a strong side linebacker? Is he, for the long term, is he a defensive end for the long term? Honestly, I think he could do both. And with how little they're in in a, uh, in a the base defense nowadays, it's probably around like 35 to 40%, you can definitely get away with keeping him on the field Um almost at all times and then just varying up his role based off what what the looks that uh, that the opposition is giving you and then you have a skilled blitzer coming from your strong side linebacker spot if if you're so inclined so there there's definitely some an intrigue an intrigue to him and that's that's really the one that that looks the most the part at least for me to where you go all right well maybe they can they can uh, they can address two needs with one there. Another one people bring up is Josh Uche, who is at the Senior Bowl, really really stood out. But in terms of like size, proto prototype, and you know that that get off from the line of scrimmage, I think uh, Terrell Lewis kind of hasn't beat. But Uche is pushing for for the first round himself. So it, it's one of those things where if they want one, they're going to have to get one early. And I, I wanted to also pick your brain about a name that I'm sure people have been screaming this entire time for us to talk about. And it's outside of the draft, which is Yannick Ngakwe. What do you think the bills should be inclined to be interested? I have my doubts there, but I'll I'll let you take the floor on that one. I think they're, they should, but I don't know if it's going to be the right fit. I don't know if they're, they're going to, want to get into a bidding war for him and he's going to be a popular name on the the free agent market i think and you know he might want i think he's looking to cash in i think he fits everything that they want to do and uh you know personality wise i think he seems like a fit and i think he's a really good player uh, a guy that you know he's capable of, of putting up those sack numbers and and getting after the quarterback but are they going to, you know, write a blank check to a defensive end this offseason? I don't know. They've, you know, apparently kicked the tires in the past on that. I think it depends on what they're looking at in terms of flexibility from do they get rid of Trent Murphy? Uh, if they do, that might be a, an inclination that they're getting ready to be aggressive uh, in the free agent market. If they don't, and, and you know, Shaq Lawson being the other part, uh, maybe they are, you know, happy with what they have, and they're, they'll add some youth there and try to, you know, go about it that way. I don't have too many reservations about Ngakwe, the player. Uh, it's more a question of whether the Bills are going to be willing to spend. I mean, the same goes for Jadavian Clowney. If he were to hit the market, um, you know, Shaq Barrett is going to be on the market. 
you know, you have to pay a premium when pass rushers are on the open market and these guys are going to have their pick. So you're going to have to, they're not going to take a discount to, to come to Buffalo. Mm -hmm. So you have to be willing to invest a long-term, you know, somewhat risky contract in a position where, uh, you know, those contracts don't always pan out. There are options on the market that are probably worth that, that big contract and Gakwe being one of them, Clowney being one of them, Arik Armstead, um, you know, is another guy, if these guys don't get brought back by, by their current teams, but I just have some hesitation about whether the bills will actually open up, you know, that type of, you know, that type of money on a position like that, or would they, well, I'll let you address him first. There's one guy who's not a defensive end, but he is, he would fit that strong side linebacker mm. mold that kind of intrigues me in free agency. Yeah, I, I I am very much in line with what you're thinking here, and mostly based off their history over the past couple of off seasons. The only time that they have signed a guy to a huge free agent contract have been in situations where they are in dire straits at a position. The two examples are two years ago, it was Star Latulale at one technique defensive tackle because they were literally awful at stopping the run up the middle in 2017. And Brandon Bean knew that had to be a focal point, and he he went big on a guy he knew he could trust in Latulale. Now, has he been lived up to the contract? Probably not, but he's been a good player for them over the stretch of the last two seasons. The other one is Mitch Morse, because what they had the season before in Ryan Groy and Russell Bodine was atrocious. And it and it completely, uh, at, at times in the pocket, just made the opportunity for growth for Josh Allen just not possible. And for if they wanted to see Josh Allen grow in his second season, they needed a veteran presence and a pretty good center like Mitch Morris to come in and do that. And the two things that those contracts have in common that no other free agent contracts that they've signed do have in common is the fact that they have been high signing bonuses. And and in year two of those contracts, it is near impossible to get out of without attributing more money to your salary cap. I don't think that's, that's a contract Brandon Bean wants to give out all that often to guys who are outside of his building and certainly not when you have uh, when you have all of these young players within the next two seasons Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins, Matt Milano, Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds that are going to be due for new deals and probably substantial new contracts over the next two off seasons. So he has to be careful here because when you start just throwing around money and especially when it's not a position of dire need like Jerry Hughes was good last year. Shaq Lawson was an above average to good player, a really good run defender. Trent Murphy was average and probably not worth his contract, but he's passable at, at this point of his career. So I don't think they're in dire straits to the point where they have to just go all in on a pass rusher this year where they could better use all that cap space on their own guys, on mid-level to to low-level type of guys to fill out the roster, to, to build that depth, as opposed to just that one guy that is going to be, if, if he flops, it's, it's going to be a, a bad, 
bad contract down the stretch. They've also, when they hand out these big deals, when they go and really invest significant resources in someone, they're very careful about who they give that money to in terms of the person they're bringing into the locker room. There's a significance to handing a big money contract, multi-year deal. You want to make sure you're bringing in the right type of person. And I, again, you know, most of these guys, you know, Clowney and Gakwe, I don't, I would assume they would fit, but you're also rolling the dice because you've never had them in your room. You don't really know how they work. You can't mold them as much because they're already, mm-hmm. you know, well into their careers. Their habits are formed. Star Latulale, they knew from Carolina. And Mitch Morse, I would say they had a pretty good read on considering, you know, Andy Reid, you know, Was that relationship. A pun? He and, yeah, that <laughs> unintentional, but I stumbled into that one. Uh, but, you know, considering they had... Uh, that connection with Andy Reid, I think that's a you know one that they had a pretty good idea about. It's a little bit different, and even those contracts are you know they were market setting in some ways at the position, but they were before. I mean, they had so much flexibility in terms of you know knowing that by the time they need cap space, they can get out of those contracts mm-hmm. if they need to. So. Uh, it's it's one of those positions where i just don't i just don't know if they're going to really be feeling desperate enough to set the market at defensive end which is basically what you have to do when guys hit free agency especially if you're looking at the Jadavian Clownies of the world you're going to have to pay a lot of money you know, if you go down the list and maybe, you know, Matthew Judon's available and you want to take a take a swing at that, I really like Matthew Judon as a player. Uh, uh, he, you know, gave the Bills some trouble uh, this year, um, you know, playing for the Ravens. You know, if you want to take a, a swing at, I don't know, a Bud Dupree or, you know, one of the, that tier of guys, yeah, you know, absolutely, by all means, but setting the market just isn't really their their move um mm-hmm. you know like you said when they're not completely and utterly desperate at a position which coming into this off season i don't know that there is one position that they're completely desperate at yeah i agree with you who is the strong side backer you were thinking of kyle van noy and Ooh, you know like he he had a great year rus- rushing the passer i have don't know you know what their level of interest is or what his level of interest would be um, or where his negotiations are at in New England but he had 60 pressures this year as a as a strong side linebacker they did a lot of blitzing with him and he's a guy that you can really move around play in different roles I think you know certainly has seemed to have stepped he seemed to step up as a leader on New England's defense this year was very vocal. Um, you know, a, a sort of a public face for for that group. I, I thought he was a really good player uh, for the Patriots this year. One of those guys that, yeah, you're going to have to pay money for him, but, you know, he's a veteran. He's, you know, going to be 30 soon. He, he, you know, he can fill some of that leadership void that's needed in, in the locker room. And you know what I think they need maybe most of all on defense? And it's hard to kind of, pinpoint this quality but they don't i guess the way i would phrase it is you know how many 
how many guys on defense do they have that you would necessarily be that you you want guys on defense that you want to take into the dark alley with you, right? Like I think Jerry Hughes is that guy, one of those, you know, alpha dogs, like has a little bit of an edge, a little bit of a, a mean streak to him. You think about the Ravens defenses now and of past had those guys where you did not want to go over the middle of the field on them. You did not want to be in a 60-minute fight with those guys. And this is not to say that the Bills defense is not good, is not physical, is not any of that, but they lack that. I mean, think about when Rex Ryan was here, they had basically a team full of those guys. They were wild and undisciplined and, you know, you don't want to go that direction with it either. But think about the Seahawks defenses, those guys that are just ass kickers on defense, guys that are really, um, you know, tone setters. I think they have a lot of talent. I think they have guys that play extremely well together, guys that are, you know, really smart, uh, really, you know, communicate well, some good leaders, everything you want. But they need a tone setter. Maybe Ed Oliver can be that tone setter. Maybe there's a linebacker out there they could bring in that could be that guy. Maybe an, another edge rusher. Um, they got a little bit of that out of guys like Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. You know, a little bit of that that attitude on defense. But I feel like they they need a a little bit more. I know they're big on character and they're big on uh, you know the right types of guys. But now that you've got this infrastructure in place. You know, bring in a guy that that maybe has a screw loose and and maybe is, you know, that guy that that nobody wants to to run across the field on. I don't know. It's kind of a hard quality to to pinpoint, but you know it when you see it. Yeah. Uh I think Ed Oliver kind of has that sort of personality. I think so too. I think he's he's got a little bit of that to him, and I'm curious to see if it develops more yeah. as he gets more confident and, you know, b- becomes uh, a veteran in the league. Jerry Hughes is, you know, a great example of a guy like that who's, you know, got that attitude to him. And uh, it doesn't mean that the guy has to be an asshole. He just has to be a bit of an asshole on the field. Uh, and, you know, I think those guys exist. I mean, think about Brian Dawkins back in the day. By all accounts, just great guy, A plus guy to have in your room and did everything 100% the right way. Was also a maniac on the field and nobody wanted to, to run across the field on him. So, uh, I think it, it's one of those ingredients. I think that, that this defense could use, use a little bit of, and I, I do think Ed Oliver is probably the, the leading candidate, uh, to have some of that to him and, and to be, to sort of grow into that, uh, you know, as he gets another year older. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea of Kyle Van Noy because, let me see if our friends at Spotrack have a little valuation on him because he 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 seems like he would be more of a, a middle tier type than someone that is going to just absolutely crush it in free agency. Or or, or I could just be talking out of my behind here. Um, Pro see. Football Focus projects, and you know they're guessing this same way Spotrack is. I would suppose. Yeah. Um, Three years, ten and a half million average, fifteen million guaranteed. So, ten mil a year. You yeah, know, that's a substantial. Term deal. It's that's a pretty, it's a pretty good chunk of change. But and he's twenty nine. Structured the right way and in a three year window, a little bit easier to swallow than you know. Let's find what they've got for Yannick 
four years, 19 and a half million, you know, 78 million total, 57 million guaranteed. Like, and maybe that's an aggressive estimation. Maybe he doesn't get that, but you know, I wouldn't bet against it considering the production he's had, his age, uh, you know, I, you know, the fact that he was, you know, sort of a leader down there in some tough times. So I wouldn't certainly wouldn't rule that type of contract out for, for him. And, you know, Shaq Barrett, they've got four years, 16 and a half million, 66 million total, 41 million guaranteed. Oh, these are all via over the cap. Actually, they've got the projected contracts in here are via over the cap.com. So, you know, that's a, you know, that's the the price tag on these these pass Oof. rushers. I think you'd rather have Van Noy for ten million and a draft pick at defensive end than you would True. Ngakwe for twenty million a year or even seventeen, whatever you know number you want to throw out there. Clowney is five years, twenty one million a year, one hundred five total, sixty six million guaranteed. So yeah, like I don't think they're going to be in that type of market. The cost for, of admission for for a defensive end, oh man, it is a it is a complete different stratosphere than what the Bills entered into at center last year and at defensive tackle two years ago. It is just a, a totally, totally different contract that will absolutely crush your flexibility to even get out of it in probably the first three seasons of that deal. It, it because at that point it's not about you getting to decide or you getting to structure how you would want the contract. It's basically, oh, do you want to sign with us? Here, have whatever you want. It, that, that's the situation with pass rushers and, and the craze for them in the uh, And to a lesser extent, agency. wide receivers. Yeah, you know, true. Uh, Amari Cooper, I'm looking at this one caught my eye. Five years, 20 million a year, 100 million total, 68 million guaranteed. Man. Even AJ Green is projected, and these are all projections. It's not exactly what they'll get or what you have to pay, but pretty good guesses from people who know the salary cap well. Three years, sixteen million a year, eighteen million guaranteed on a guy who's been injured. So, yeah, I mean, at these premier positions, you're going to have to spend money, and they have money to spend, but it would limit what they could do in other areas. And you know, is how much is one defensive end going to impact their win total in 2020? Absolutely fair. I don't know. I, I mean, it's tough to quantify, but I think it's something you have to think about when you're, you know, I think when you start paying that type of money, you're you're entering into desperation territory a little mm-hmm. bit. For uh, sure. And you're, you know, you have to be sure that it's a guy that is going to be able to make good on that contract. Which I is think, why I think Ngakwe, you know, who hasn't even turned 25 yet, that's why I think teams are going to be willing to pay that. Arik mm-hmm. Armstead is 26. Uh, you know, so these guys are are young, and it wouldn't be far-fetched for them to— I mean, even Mario Williams, I know a lot of people thought he was a waste of money towards the end of that contract. He produced. Uh, you know, he had 10 sacks, what, four, four 10-sack seasons for the Bills? Three ten sack seasons? He had good production for that contract, but even then people didn't think— he lived up to it. So it's hard uh, when you pay that type of money in free agency and set the market at a position where outside a quarterback, you know, nobody's making more money than defensive ends. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah, eh, no, nobody, right? Even defensive or even offensive tackles aren't in that neighborhood. A defensive end is 
considered, you know, one of those premier positions. And it's certainly a better team building uh, exercise or certainly a better use of resources if you're able to nail nail it in the draft and you know have a guy on at least a cost controlled deal for five years all right so let's let's just do a little quick cap math on the fly here then uh, the, the bills are projected probably to have around eh, let's say 88 mil right so let's say they signed Tredavious white what's a fair figure there 13 14 would you say well he might set the market there too so what's the market at um, I think it was around 14. Yeah, you could say 14. Okay. Is probably a uh I would say a a good guess. There. So so that's that's 14 there. Then Milano is probably going to be 12. Um I would say is a is a fair estimate for what he's probably going to make based on contracts that were signed to the linebackers. Um Deion Dawkins is probably going to be around a 10 million dollar player which is three players right there, which brings you down to 52 million just from from those three players. And then when you chuck an added 20 million for a pass rusher, or in this case, 17, that brings you all the way down to uh, 35 million for this year's cap. And by the way, they've got Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds next year. So what are you doing to yourself in terms of the future by signing one of those contracts now and I know the the cap hits vary based on year to year but usually the cap hits go up as as the contract goes along here the, usually it's that first year where you can get away with having a lower cap hit just because it's um just because you are inflated by a lot of the signing bonus but as soon as the salaries start to go up that cap number usually goes up and so that that makes it a a pretty precarious situation to sign one of these huge ticket guys to a to a long-term deal. So I'm way more in the camp of sign Van Noy and draft a pass rusher than the alternative here of Ngakwe, Armstead, Clowney, any one of those guys because I just don't know that the value will truly ever be there and the whole desperation point. I know I made it before, but it's just it's that doesn't seem to be the type of move that Brandon Bean likes to do unless they totally need something no doubt about it. And they've already got so much money invested in the position as it is with Hughes and, and Murphy, and they probably want to bring back Lawson. So it, it's a, I, I would probably say a, a a pass from my perspective. But I do think the, the strong side linebacker idea is a good segue. And we'll, we'll do this briefly to a, a need that needs to be talked about more than what it is right now, which is potentially a a guy who can play that that Buffalo nickel role for for the Bills because Taron Johnson has suffered three injuries in two seasons, um, and clearly there's a little bit of a uh, injury prone label to be had there. He's a smaller guy, tends to lead with his shoulder a lot, just plays with a bit of a reckless abandon, and that has caused him to miss some games as he's gone along here. Um, and then if, if you look at it from that perspective, Saran Neal has been kind of a flop in, in that area to what they wanted him to be. But also if you were to draft a finger quotes, Buffalo nickel, who can also play safety, then 
you're also looking towards the future because Jordan Poyer is a free agent at the end of 2020. And I wrote about this at The Athletic today, actually, which is Friday, um, in my Bills and Review series, which is Jordan Poyer is a free agent after this coming year. And in 2000, the 2021 season will be going into his age 30 season. And what exactly are you expecting over the span of a two to three year extension for a safety that tends to rely on his explosiveness to make plays in the box? And I just think that maybe having someone that has the versatility to play Buffalo nickel and develop as a safety could be someone you look to as a long-term replacement for Jordan Poyer as well. Yeah, I've got a, my eye on a guy that I'll be writing about, um, hashtag tease, oh, yeah. um, that I won't I won't peel back the curtain just yet. A guy who I think might be on their radar early in the draft, and I think it is perhaps an under-the-radar under need, but not to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, True. And you're right about the safety spot. That's another area that you either need to factor into – the current salary cap situation where you're saying, okay, need to factor in a big pay raise for Jordan Poyer, or you need to factor it into the future needs. And I think they, they, you know, haven't gotten what they want out of that nickel spot. Uh, There's probably still a need at outside cornerback opposite Tredavious White. I think not a pressing one, not a desperate one, but you know, they love adding cornerbacks. And they love developing that position. They've done a pretty good job of it. Levi Wallace coming off surgery. Uh, Kevin Johnson's a free agent. Maybe they bring him back. But yeah, there's needs in this secondary, despite it being one of the best secondaries in football. I think they have, you know, the three most important pieces uh, in terms of Poyer, Hyde, and Tredavious White for, you know, at least they have Poyer for another year. But Long term, you always have to be thinking ahead and planning ahead. And that Buffalo nickel is something that we've talked about basically since they got here because they used it so frequently in Carolina and they've used it in spots here, but they haven't found their Shaq Thompson type that can really kind of do it all. And those movable pieces in this defense, uh, Sean McDermott really values that. Mm -hmm. And so that's another way that you could potentially impact your pass rush too, right? I mean... To have that flexibility, you know, in those situations to have, you know, Tremaine Edmonds on the field with, you know, a a big nickel and, you know, have, you know, some extra pieces to move around a guy that can blitz, you know, it it's another another look that you can give teams and a look that they're losing one of their favorite looks of, you know, having Lorenzo Alexander in there as a as a pass rusher. And, you know, they need to they're always evolving in terms of scheme on that side of the ball. So I think that's that's definitely an area to watch. And um, I'll have I'll have a name for for some. Oh, people. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to blow my cover here uh, on this uh, story I'm working on, but it should be should be out early next week. Yeah, nor should you. And uh, it's 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 a fire story. And it, as soon as you told me the name a few weeks ago, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's. That, 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 that makes some sense there. Um, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. Uh, I think a how they could get by at linebacker in the meantime, if they were to add a player like that, would be um, to just have that guy be the Buffalo nickel and have him play probably a good chunk of the snaps while he develops as an inside-the-box safety to 
potentially take over for Poyer for the long term if they choose to move on from Jordan Poyer after this coming season. Who knows what what they'll be doing there. It's at least my opinion that they should at least hold off to see how Poyer plays this season, how... Uh, how Jaquan Johnson develops in the background and if they were to draft a guy like we're talking about here but also to kind of to kind of be able to cross off a need here that strong side linebacker spot that we're talking about I mean Corey Thompson could play it for whatever 25 percent of snaps that they would need him to in in that for instance and then you have a, a trio of that 11th spot on the defense being either Taron Johnson as a classic nickel insert draft pick here who can play the Buffalo nickel and then Corey Thompson who is your base defender who they have under contract for this coming season that showed pretty well in that week 17 game against the Jets. And you know you're going to need him for special teams anyway, so might as well just just roll him out there. The only thing that you're losing in that, in that uh, spot is Lorenzo Alexander's ability to jump down and rush the passer, which is a definitive... Um, weakened area without him he, he wasn't as good at it this past year as he had been previously but I mean come on the dude was 37 and and he's not going to be quick and fast and reactive forever I think I think it's it's pretty uh pretty standard for guys his age or even way earlier than that to have kind of a an a downtick in in production there but I think that's a way to kind of compensate for it all especially if they go with a safety that has those Buffalo nickel abilities potentially in, let's say, even the second or third round. It would not shock me in the slightest bit, which also brings me back to a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago, which is, okay, if a guy that they really love isn't there at 22, just trade the hell down and get yourself an extra second or third round pick and then and then go from there. I, I think that might end up being the smartest thing, but... You know, we never really know what the trade market's going to look like until draft day. Yeah, getting down is not a not a bad idea for this group. I think we've talked about you know the strength of the draft in that second third round area, and you know the amount of wide receiver talent that'll be out there. You know, there's a lot. You get a lot more flexibility the more picks you have in that range, and the more the more dart throws you can make in the, the first three or four rounds, the more likely you'll land an impact player. So I think that's on their radar this year. They have more flexibility to do it. Their needs aren't such, you know, they're not looking for a quarterback and that always gives you flexibility. Uh, You know, last year they were sitting in the top 10 and a guy at a position they really value who they had a super high grade on was sitting right there. So tough to blame them for staying put and taking their guy. When you're in the 20s, there's a lot of variables Mm -hmm. and so much can happen. Trying to guess who's going to be there in the 20s is a pretty tough exercise. And I think that's where you see a lot of those. There's a lot of movement in the second half of the first round most years because, you know, guy comes off the board that you you wanted and then you know all of a sudden you see the value to move down but certain teams are you know there's a lot more variance in terms of how players are viewed the farther down the draft you get that's just the nature of it you know the top 10 picks are sometimes easy to project beyond that you're you know kind of 
it's going to depend on the team, depend on scheme, depend on how they value certain things, you know, whether they're scared by injuries, whether a team needs a quarterback, uh, you know, different regimes are in different stages of their build. So there will be opportunity, I would think, if they want to get aggressive uh, to move back in the draft. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they really want to seek out some trade partners, I would think they'll be there. Well said. So the the defense should be addressed at some point in the first three rounds. You At least you would think. So that uh, I'm glad we did this primer because I – Defense gets attention, but it doesn't get enough attention for how much, how big of a part of this offseason it might wind up being, especially in terms of the NFL draft. All right, so that'll do it for us. The next time we will speak will be next week, which is only a couple of weeks before the NFL Combine is is here slapping us in the face um so that'll be fun in indianapolis and it'll be our first chance to talk with both sean mcdermott and brandon bean uh well certainly bean since the senior bowl and sean mcdermott since the end of the season so that that'll be good there um but we will have an episode on the in-between a couple of them and uh figuring out exactly what was that two weeks yeah a couple of weeks of two weeks right yeah so two more episodes two more epis um so it is now the time where i ask you if if you have a send-off as i'm prone to do every week now i did not prepare one come on to and then i forgot to prepare one so i'm just gonna stick with peace love and happiness spread the word wow um and i i my send-off will be i watched a game, a prospect, uh, an Epinesa game, where he was facing against the quarterback, Brett Gabbert. I'll leave you all with that. There's little, a Brett Gabbert? Little brother of Blaine. We talked about this on the pod, like during the season. Oh, for some reason, I didn't remember that his name was Brett. Brett Gabbert, yeah. It's the little brother of Blaine. He's the starting quarterback at Miami of Ohio. From Miami, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a young boy. He's he is. just a freshman. He is. Uh, Son of Chuck and Beverly. Chuck and Bev just churning out big-time quarterbacks. (laughs) Good for them. Well, that's a send-off if I've ever heard it. All right. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat, and we'll catch you next week. See you then.